folks. Thanks for joining us for the Young UC podcast. My name is Tim, and it's great to have you with us. So, it is Sunday, October 25th, 2020, and here in Winnipeg, we've just been through another week of... Um, heavier lockdown, more intense um, restrictions, we should say. And yeah, that's wearing. It, it wears on the heart and it wears on the soul. And and I tell you, my heart just goes out to those people who are trying to make it work, trying to figure things out, trying to, to learn and grow on the fly, because it's just remarkable. Um, I think of the, the healthcare providers, I think of um, all the teachers in the education system, and, and so many more people, it's, it's hard to list them all. So as they're doing their work, so many of us find ourselves, you know, cut off from um, our supports, cut off from our communities, cut off from all those people and places that, that, that sustain us. And that's really hard. And so wherever you are, uh, wherever in the world you are, whether you're here in Winnipeg or, or somewhere else in this difficult time, I hope that that you are being sustained. And if this podcast plays a small part in that, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Um, our scripture reading for today is second Samuel chapter seven. And this deals with, uh, King David, uh, on the throne and he wants to, to build a temple. Now, I love biblical studies. I, I wish I could devote more time to them because there's so many fascinating things going on there. And so if, if you're that type, um, sometimes I like looking at the history. This time I like looking at the, uh, the literary structure of this passage. Um, I, I dabble in that in this sermon. So I hope if that's your bag that you enjoy it. Um, if it's not, I hope you get some interest out of it. Um, and yeah, I hope, I hope the message holds true for you because as I said earlier, so many of us are, are separated from our communities and, and I hope this story, this, uh, sermon, this meditation, uh, works, works for you. So on that note, uh, I hope and pray that you are well and that you be well. And if you're not well, if you're struggling, may you find, People may find God accompany you through these difficult times. And peace amid blessings to all of you. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Holy God, may the words from my mouth and the meditations in all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. So our scripture reading is a pretty important passage from the history of Judaism, uh, Jewish theology, and later on Christian theology as well. It's the story of the promise to King David. And there's a lot going on in this passage that we can focus on. There's a lot that we can look at, uh, a lot that we can draw from this passage. But briefly put, David is king now. He's come through a series of, of wars. Um, he, 
Saul, the previous king, has is no longer on the throne. David has taken his place, and and David has moved the capital to Jerusalem, and we're sort of at the high point in in King David's life. Everything is going really well for David right at this point. This is sort of the the apex of his career. After this, things begin to turn for the worse for him. But right now, David is is about as high as as he can be. And so he's he's sitting there on his throne or or, or in his you know his 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 court or or wherever he is, and he's thinking about how he he's in Jerusalem and, and he's established in Jerusalem. Um, but God who's been, you know, in the Ark of the Covenant still, who's been, um, transported around since the days of, uh, of the, the, the desert when the Ark was created after Moses came down from Mount Sinai, um, and has, has been with the, the, the people of Israel since then, uh, through the wandering of the desert, into the conquest of the Holy Land, through the time of the judges, through the reign of King Saul and all the wars and the civil wars. And David says, well, I think it's time for, for you to have a, 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 a temple, a permanent place to stay. And the response that God gives David through, through Nathan, the, the prophet is no, not now. That's not for you to worry about. In fact, you, you offered to build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. And this is what, what is said to, to David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's verse 16. Second um, Samuel seven verse sixteen, and that's the promise to King David, and it's a huge promise that has ramifications throughout the rest of of Jewish scripture um, into Christian scripture, uh, interpretations of who Jesus is. For the original audience of this, God makes a promise and, and you believe it. I don't know what form this would have originally come in, but, but this would have been part of the, the marketing of the, the, the monarchy of the, the line of David. You know, well, we've got this promise from God, so you can trust in us. And people would have believed it. Um, you know, God promised Abraham, uh, uh, a nation, God delivered. God promised to get the people out of, out of Egypt. God delivered. God promised the, the promised land. God, God delivered. And so this promise carries tremendous weight with it. Tremendous weight with it. And it, and it gave, as I said, it gave the, the monarchy, the Davidic line in, in Israel and later in the divided kingdom Judah, it, it gave them extra weight. You know, they could say, well, we're, oh, I'm from the line of David, so we've got this promise. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. The problem arose when the line of David was broken. You know, what, what happens in the exile? 
when the, the, the last king, King, king Zedekiah, when he is, well, he, he has his eyes put out. He has his, his children killed in front of him. And, and then he's taken off to, to Babylon and, and, and never heard from again. What happens when that line is seemingly broken? When you have these words from, from Isaiah talking about a, uh, uh, a, a, a shoot from the, the, the stump of Jesse, you know, Jesse being David's father, the idea that, that, you know, this line will continue. Um, what, what happens with this promise? And, and so that's, what's led to the, the idea of the Messiah, that, that a Messiah is coming, that, that a Messiah, which means an anointed one. Um, and that was what the Kings were. The Kings were the anointed ones. They were anointed for, for their Royal, Royal position. And, and Christ is, is just Greek for the, the word Messiah. The people are waiting for this Messiah to, to show up, to be there to 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 save the nation to restore the nation to what it once was and this promise is held up you know we we so, something's got to happen here there will be um that this line will not break and so it's it's somewhere and so this messiah this this son of david is going to appear one day and restore our nation and that becomes a huge part, not only of, um, of Jewish theology, um, after the exile, but I mean, Christian theology, that's why Matthew and, and Luke, um, bend over backwards to, to trace Jesus's line back to David to say, look, he, he, he's the Messiah and, and He's from the line of David because, because of this promise, this promise in, in, in second Samuel chapter seven, where God promises your line will be forever. Well, here we go. It is forever. See, and this is what it means when we say, um, the Davidic line will rule forever. We're, we're talking about Jesus. That's how, that's how Christians have, have interpreted it. And so that's, that's where we are. That's some of the background around what this passage means, some of the weight that it, that it carries. And so that's, that's where we are. And I want to take a look at this, uh, this passage a bit more, a bit more in depth. Something, if you're looking in, in scripture that you'll notice if you study it is that there's lots of literary structures in here. And when I say that, I mean, there's lots of patterns in the text. Um, and this is sort of the best analogy I can think of is sort of, of rhyme schemes. I don't know if when you were in, in elementary school, if, if you did those, those rhyme schemes, you know, you have line A, line B, and then a, a line that rhymes with line A and call that a prime and a line that rhymes with line B is B prime, right? So it's a B a prime B prime. Um, uh, let me make up a, a rhyming poems that, that fits that pattern. I, I went out to see the corn. It was all very yellow. 
in that field, a mouse was born. And with a quiet squeak, it did bellow. That's not, that's not bad, actually. Um, pat, pat myself on the back for that one. Um, but, it, but it's that rhyme scheme, right? So, so the first line rhymed with the third line. The second rhyme rhymed with the fourth line. And there's different ways you can, you can match it. You know, the first line can rhyme with the fourth line, and then the second and third can rhyme. So, so think of these literary structures, these patterns in the text as sort of a rhyme scheme, but, um, but a rhyme scheme for, for ideas. Um, so it doesn't literally rhyme, but the ideas, they kind of pair with each other. In, in different patterns. So you might have um, a back and forth, you know, so, so an idea A, and then idea B, and then a reflection of idea A, and then a reflection of idea B, or some, something like that. So a pattern that appears quite a lot is called um, a chiasmus, a chiasmic, a chias, chiastic pattern, a chiastic structure. Um, and it's a sort of pattern that we're not overly familiar with in in our world. A lot of times in our world, we like to uh, um, interpret the point of a, a, a story or of an essay or of something written as you know the the, the main idea is either at the beginning or at the end. If you've ever written a, a paper for high school or, or, or university or college, there's this idea of the, the thesis statement that the, the paper starts with, gives you, the, lays out the idea of what you're going to say, and then you get the conclusion at the end, which sort of summarizes everything. Um, chiastic structure doesn't do that. It, it sort of challenges our our, our Western ordering of things. A chiastic structure you have to think of as sort of a pyramid. So you've got um, idea A, then idea B, then idea C, and then a reflection of idea C, and a reflection of idea B, and then a reflection of idea A, or a rhyme of idea C, a rhyme of idea B, and a rhyme of idea A. So it's like a, a pyramid, A, B, C, C, B, A. And often what's meant in these is what's in the middle, the hinge of this pyramid or the, the, the hinge of this, this pattern is where the focus of what's being said is it's right in the middle of it. So, so an example, a very simple example is Matthew um, 6.24. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. So here you have, it begins with A, no one can serve two masters. Then it goes to B, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, then a reflection of that B, or be devoted to the one and despise the other, and then a reflection of A, you cannot serve God in wealth. So no one can serve two masters is paired with you cannot serve God in wealth. And for a slave will either hate the one and love the other is paired with or be devoted to the one and despise the other. And the focus is right on the middle 
sentence there. You, you, if you have two masters, you're going to hate one and love the other. And that's a real problem when they're talking about money in, in, in that particular gospel example. Uh, Noah's Ark provides a much larger example. It, it goes, it, it's actually very, very deep. You can, you can look it up and it, there, there's a huge um, uh, chiastic structure in Noah's Ark, um, which I won't get into now because it, it, it's many levels deep and uh, um, it's quite remarkable. And when you see it, it, it becomes very obvious, but it, it hinges around the language God remembers Noah in Genesis 8, 1. Um, there's sort of also a, a, a smaller version of that chiastic pattern in Noah's Ark with, uh, with, with the time elements. So it starts with um, seven days waiting before before they can enter the, the ark. And then they mention seven days again. And then they talk about the, the, the 40 days of, of rain. And then 150 days of just floating in this ark. Then scripture reminds us God remembers Noah. And then we get 150 days again of floating on the ark. Then... 40 days of the, the water has started to abate and Noah waits 40 days. And finally it's seven days waiting for, for the bird to return. The bird returns and then he sends out the bird again and it's seven more days of waiting, but the bird doesn't come back. The, the, so, so it goes, um, 7, 7, 40, 150, God remembers Noah, 150, 40, 7, 7. And so again, you have that chiastic structure of ideas reflecting ideas that emphasizes that, that, that middle point. What's difficult to see in our scripture passage for today is that it's part of a, a much larger um, chiasmus. This is one piece, one reflection of an idea in a larger chiasmus in this, in this passage, uh, in this, in this book of second Samuel. And it gives a sense of what's going on in this book, what is being described here. So after David makes Jerusalem, his capital, and that's another point, I'll come back to that Jerusalem being the capital. The passage in 2 Samuel chapter 5 mentions David's children. And then it goes on to mention the victories that he had over the Philistines. That's the, the traditional enemy of the tribes of Israel. And finally, it, it mentions bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And that's, that's just before our scripture reading starts, those three things. Now, all three of those are associated with the, the, the tribalism that the people of Israel existed in. The, 
the well-being of a tribe is often described in the sense of its children. It is the, the, the children of the tribe. It is, it is sort of familial ties that hold a tribe together. So we had all these tribes of, of Israel living in various locations in the promised land and, and being led at various times by different judges. And, and, and it's the the children, the, the, the family relationships, the family bonds, which hold these tribes together. Similarly, the, the Philistines, this is the traditional enemy of the tribes of Israel. And, and finally, it mentions bringing the ark to, to Jerusalem. And this was a vessel, again, was another symbol of Israel in its, in its tribal state. And so it was James Flanagan who noticed this this pattern this literary pattern and saw this first half all dealt with with the tribal affiliations of of the people of israel on the other side of the chiasmus of the chiastic pattern we have our scripture reading for today which deals with the temple discussion of the temple and not just the the temple but the the line of david so god says don't worry about my house this is about your house this is the 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 dynasty of of david it it, it stays put it's not a symbol of the tribes but rather of a nation state it loses that sort of nomadic element to it the, the line of david rules and you get this origin of the monarchy and it's this sense of the, the 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 nation state as opposed to the ark of the covenant which is a symbol of the tribes um where before in the tribal understanding of israel the philistines were mentioned as the the main antagonists uh, later on it shows a bunch of different wars of, of national wars that that David undertook as leader of the nation. And finally, as I said earlier, um, the, the, the tribe was identified by family ties and connections, as we saw when scripture mentioned the children of David, the, the, the end, the, the pairing with the children of David, with the children, with the family ties of the tribe um, is the, the bureaucratic entities of the nation state it it goes on and it lists these are all the the big high up bureaucrats and so you get this this chiastic pattern which which shows this movement it hinges around this this movement from being a tribal nation of connected but not unified groups of people bound by, by family ties, um, ultimately to a nation state, bound by, by something different. Not bound by family ties, but, but all these family groups are tied together in a larger, more cohesive way. I think what this story does is it reflects a pattern that is woven into creation that is a part of of what we've seen in the universe and that's that the arc of the universe is one of ever emergent relationships 
grown out of ever-increasing complexity. And that's holy. So, so let, let me give you some examples. Let me talk about how this has, has unfolded in very roughshod way. And I'm sure cosmologists and evolutionary biologists will, will be upset with me for, for how I simplify things. But, but it gives a sense here. When the universe only had hydrogen and helium, and that hydrogen and, and some helium sort of co collected together and formed these, these massive explosions that we call stars, and, and lit up the universe for the first time. As these stars aged, the fusion that, that, that fired these stars and, 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 and happened because of such intense gravity, it, it, it formed new atoms, new more complex atoms. Um, out of hydrogen and helium, you began to see uh, more complex things like carbon or oxygen or, or, or nitrogen, and it was blown out into the universe as uh, with, with, with supernovas. And with all those different atoms, you began to see uh, chemistry forming chemical relationships as these atoms could bind together in new and ever more complex ways. And it wasn't long before that that chemistry gave way to, to, to life. Life certainly on, on one planet, I, I suspect more given the, the vastness of the universe, but it, it, it gave way to life, this, this, this new way that relationship developed as these, these chemicals began to be able to copy themselves and began to be able to, to change uh, based on, on what was better able to copy itself. And that's where we see the, the, the dawn of evolution, in biology anyway, and and it's marvelous, this ever-growing complexity, and we still continue to see it in the natural world as, as life spread on this planet, as it went around relationships between living organisms, uh, grew and, and developed, and we started to see the, the birth of ecosystems, this, this interconnectivity of, of, of dependence as these got more and more complex. And... And there have been stumbling blocks, there have been mass extinctions, but I, I mean, a part of me wonders if through the lens of history, are we able to see those stumbling blocks as, as further pathways for, for deeper and more emergent uh, relationships and, and increased complexity? Um, we, we certainly see that in, in the earliest supernovas as they created those complicated, complicated uh, um molecules or, or atoms. Uh, we see that in, in, in some of those early mass extinctions when, when life gave way to, to, to photosynthetic life, which could develop a whole new form of, of creating energy from, from light, from the sun. So there's countless examples. And this particular story that, that we just read about reminds us of the social aspect of that pattern. 
of emergent relationships, of increasing complexity. The, the, the path that humanity has taken in broad strokes anyway was from small family groups to larger family groups to tribes to, to nation states to what we're seeing now in the world is uh, a, a growing sense of internationalism, a, a growing sense of, of a global community. And even beyond that, we are just on the cusp of starting to understand that our relationships don't just end with other humans, but with the whole of creation itself. And you're a part of that. You're not the culmination of it, but you're a part of that ever-growing pattern of deepening relationships, of, of, of increasing complexity in the world. And that's pretty wonderful. I like connecting this story to, to Jesus as uh, seeing him as a descendant of this this growing awareness because the life of christ in many ways is uh, a, a recognition of all these relationships uh, if there's one thing that the ministry of jesus held up it's that we're in relationship with the lowest of the low that even though we think we're apart, we're not. We're intimately connected. And so the question that we're invited to ask is if we're in deep and complex relationship with everyone and everything around us, if we're a part of something so much bigger than ourselves, how do we live in it? Do we live into it by domination? Or do we live into it by reciprocity? King David eventually would go on to try to live with it, within it through domination in many ways. It all started with the story of Bathsheba, how he, he fell in love with her watching for her from afar and used his power to send her husband off where he got killed, um, used his power to, to make her his wife, um, and just got everything that he wanted. And this would ultimately lead to not only his downfall, but, well, the division of the kingdom, where he had brought it together and unified it. This was the beginning of, of where it began to pull apart. But the shoot that grows from the stump of Jesse... that as Christians we see in Jesus lived a life of reciprocity. That it was through compassion and care 
and grace that these relationships were made holy. The emergent relationships woven throughout the universe, the ever-increasing complexity grows out of love. And so, yes, you are a part of that. You are a part of an ever-growing and deepening community that stretches further than, than any of us can imagine. And so the question to you, as it is to all of us, as we come to see ourselves in these relationships, do we live into it by domination? Or do we live into it by love? Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Young UC Podcast. If you liked what you heard, go to youngunitedchurch.com. There you can hear past sermons, music, and learn a little bit more about who we are and some of the outreach that we do. All of our work in the world, from supporting outreach in Winnipeg, to sponsoring refugees, to creating content for listeners like you, is supported by donations. If you'd like to support us, you can find us through Canada Helps or directly through our website. Thanks very much, and have a good day.